0: Well, Keystone, in line with uh, both, I think, parent-child dedication this morning uh, and what we've been doing in this series, uh, talking about welcoming one another, I, I want to start out this morning by having you turn to someone who's just sitting next to you who you didn't come with uh, and say hi to them. You can introduce yourself if you've not met them before. And then I want to have you answer this question together. I'll just give you a minute or two to respond to it. Uh, the question being, what is one of your favorite childhood As you think about your childhood, maybe it's a a vacation you took, maybe it's a game you played, a a home that you grew up in, anything at all that you think back on your childhood. What's one of your favorite childhood memories? So take a moment, turn to someone next to you you didn't come with, talk to them for a minute and answer uh, that question. It's up on the screen for you to see. All right, I'm going to cut you off, even though I was very short. You can uh, finish the conversation at the end of service if only one of you got to share uh, or, or talk more with that person once we're done this morning. But if, if you grew up anytime in the 1970s, uh, 80s, or 90s, I'm going to guess that you have a familiar childhood memory. A- a- and it starts... Uh, by this scene opening up on a little house at the end of a street in a model town. And next thing you know, you are inside this house in the living room as the camera kind of scans across the living room and eventually leaves you facing the door. And then the door opens up and in walks this tall man clad in a tie and a cardigan singing a song to you. A song that goes like, It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood... A Beautiful Day for a Neighbor, Would You Be My, Could You Be My Neighbor. It's the opening scene to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, a show that ran from 1968 until 2001. Over, Over 30 years, Mr. Rogers was doing this Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Putting on this show in a time when the value, significance, and importance of children seemingly was decreasing. You can look different places to, to see that. You can look at the birth rates and how they've dropped in those years and since then, dropping by over 30% in the U.S. You, you can look at the horrible, awful, awful statistics when it comes to abortion over those years and since then. Or, or you can just look at our culture, culture's general perspective towards big families uh, Jim Gaffigan maybe said at best, a comedian who also has a family of five. He said, big families are like waterbed stores. They used to be everywhere. Now they're just weird. <laughs> and yet throughout that time and age, Mr. Rogers stood as a type of countercultural influence who celebrated the, the sanctity of human life long before it was a Sunday on our church calendars. Where he welcomed children in using the, the tool of television, welcomed children into his living room and treated them as the dignity they or treated them with the dignity they have as God's image bearers. This is what the church and followers of Jesus have been called to that we're called to be a people who stand out as a counter cultural testimony and witness to the value and importance of children not simply because of our political affiliation, not simply so that we can stand on some moral high ground and look down on those who may be standing on a different ground than us, but because we believe in a God who has stamped every single child with his image and loves them all. That's the the really simple, big idea behind this morning's sermon is just this. God loves kids. God loves kids, and so calls us to the same thing. In this series on welcoming, we've been trying to touch on how welcoming people into our churches, into our lives, and into our homes, especially strangers, can be a type of counterculture testimony to the gospel. In a day and age where that seems more and more strange, so too welcoming kids into our churches, into our lives, and into our homes can stand as a type of counter-cultural influence to the God that we love and serve in our day and age. Now I want to give two disclaimers this morning before we look together at Mark 10, 13 through 16. That's where it'll be. If you have your Bibles, you can open up there, Mark 10, 13 through 16. But I want to give two disclaimers before we read that passage and jump into looking at it. And they're important disclaimers. Here's the the first one. A sermon about welcoming children may seem particularly hard to listen to for people in this room who are struggling with infertility, miscarriage, or who have lost a child. I know how parent-child dedication, sanctity of human life, Sunday, Mother's Day, and Father's Day can just seem to magnify the pain or void that you feel if that's you. I've felt that as well. And my request this morning is that you listen still, even though it may be painful to listen this morning, because I'm not seeking to minimize or overlook any of the pain that you may feel. In fact, we're going to talk more about that later on this morning. And then second, a sermon about welcoming kids may also feel particularly hard for anyone in the room who has either had an abortion or been part of an abortion, And if that's you sitting in this room this morning, a sermon on welcoming children may seem just to exacerbate the type of guilt, shame, or regret you feel over your decision. And so I'm asking you to listen as well, if that's you, even though it may be painful and hard to listen this morning, because there's hope for everyone who has sinned and failed to welcome children into our lives as God calls us to, which as we'll see in reality is is all of us all of us. Now now with those things in mind, let's look at this short little story. It's a wonderful story found in three books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to read Mark's account of it this morning in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And so let's pray together and then read from God's word. Father, when we open up your word to read it together, we believe we are hearing the very words of our God who has created us, created us for yourself, who sustains us every day with grace, and who is present right now with us in this room. And so, God, we're we're asking that you would speak to us through your word by the power of your spirit this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And they were bringing children to him, him being Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. If you can just for a moment picture this scene with me and try to get in it for just a second so that we can understand better what's happening here. Jesus is the most sought-after speaker in the country at this time. Everywhere he goes, crowds gather to listen to him. Every time he performs another miracle, his popularity and platform grows. His influence is spreading far and wide. The the demands on his time and energy seem to be just nonstop. He He just went toe-to-toe in the story before this with the elite Pharisees who are were looking to trip him up and are rumored to be looking for a way to shut him up. And now finally, he's gotten some time alone in a house with some of his closest friends, the 12 disciples. And yet, just as they seem to be able to catch their breath, there comes a knock at the door. And as they open up the door, they see this line of people standing outside the door asking to see Jesus. And not only that, but they brought their loud, disruptive, unruly kids along with them. And it's specifically their kids who they're asking Jesus to see, even though their kids don't need healed. No one's about to die. The disciples quickly see this and intervene right away. And they say, oh, sorry, parents. Jesus is a very busy man. He does not have time to have your kids come sit on his lap. He's got a lot going on. Please respect his privacy and just take your kids away. And yet when they turn to see Jesus, they find him not grateful saying thank you, but indignant, angry, upset. As he gets back up, opens the door and says, come on in kids, and then looks at the disciples as he does this and says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. Jesus responds not with a stiff arm to these children, but with open arms welcoming them in. And so I want to be able to see and have all of us see, what is it about how Jesus sees children that would lead him to say, no, no, come on in, despite all the demands and pressures he is facing? In other words, what is it or how is it that Jesus would instruct us to see kids, If we're also going to be those who welcome them into our churches, our lives, and our families, just as Jesus welcomed them in. And so let's look together at three ways Jesus instructs us to see children to start out this morning. The the first being this, that children are a gift, not a burden. Children are a gift, not a burden, Notice that the disciples instinctively view these children as a burden in some ways. Or in other words, they assume that these kids are going to get in the way of what Jesus really wants. What he really wants is some peace and quiet, they think. What he really wants is some adult conversation. What he really wants is some moments to prepare for his next sermon. That They assume that these kids will get in the way of what Jesus wants. But, but notice how he responds. No, they're not a burden. No, these kids are what I want. Bring them in. Let them come in. Have them sit on my lap. I've got time for them. Jesus shows us kids are a gift meant to be welcomed into our lives, whether that's day by day, once a week, whatever it may be in your life with kids. And yet how easy it is for us to see children as a burden rather than a gift at times. Doesn't the cultural water that we swim in communicate this? Communicating that a child is only a gift if he or she fits in perfectly with your timeline, your plans, and your dreams. That we tend to prize individual freedom and autonomy as a, a greater gift than children And that when children get in the way of those idols, we're prone to do what everyone has done throughout history. Sacrifice your children for the sake of your idols. And yet the Bible speaks loudly into our culture and every single culture in history and says children are a gift from the Lord. Their reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. We, we should be honest enough, though, to admit that the tendency at times to see children as a burden rather than a gift is not just something that lies out in the world, but is something that can so easily happen in our own hearts. Sure, we, we see children as a gift in that moment where they're born and we're holding them for the first time, but, but what about four months in when you're sleep deprived and you feel like a walking zombie, or when they're older and you're staying up all night worrying about where they're at? Sure, sure we can see kids as a gift when they're quiet or well-behaved like little angels but what about when they're throwing another tantrum, acting in rebellion, or just making your life messy and difficult and challenging? In those moments, do we still see kids as a gift? Don't, don't hear me wrong. Children are costly gifts. Most of God's best gifts are costly, right? That They will ask for your time, your money, your energy, your patience, and then still be asking for more. And yet, in those moments, when we are most likely to feel like children are a barrier to what we want, we need to be most reminded they are actually a gift to us. Let me just give you a, an open window into kind of my own home and my own heart for a moment. Uh, after Christmas, I, I had some vacation time to use up at the end of the year, and so the week after Christmas, I took off. But, like probably many of you, uh, our family ended up coming down with sickness around Christmas, which just seems to happen. Uh, that combined with the fact that that week it was either rainy or cloudy or cold meant we were stuck inside with, for most of the week with not many options of how to get out. And so, the Tuesday after Christmas, my kids were a gift, right? We're playing, we're having fun, this is great, we've got new toys, this is awesome. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday roll around. Gift is not the first word I would have likely used, right? All of a sudden, I start thinking, man, I just really want some time to myself. Man, it must be nice to, woe is me. And all these other things that start to slip in. And yet, it's specifically in those moments in our lives where we most need to be reminded. Children are a gift, not a burden. Jesus shows that welcoming children involves seeing them as a gift. And then second, he, he shows that welcoming children involves seeing them as disciples. Children are disciples, not distractions. I don't mean in that statement that children are born followers of Jesus. I'm not contradicting what Brandon said earlier this morning. No, no, no. We are all born sinners who ultimately need to repent of sin and trust in Jesus in order to become his followers, which is why as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles in a church, we're, we're called to point our kids to Jesus. But what I mean by that, that children's are dis, children are disciples, not distractions, is that from the mo- very moment of their birth, children are constantly being discipled or shaped by someone. And for children, that someone is every person who takes an interest in their life and spends time with them which will be primarily, although not exclusively, their parents. That's why you hear at Keystone us using this phrase that children, or parents are the primary disciple makers of their children. Because as a parent, you will spend the most time with your children and have the greatest influence on their lives. And you're not called to do that alone. That's why we have a kids ministry and a youth ministry. And that's why the church makes a commitment to support parents as they dedicate their children. And yet, Still, parents will be the primary voice into their kids' lives. The the disciples treat the children in the story as though they are a distraction. Jesus has bigger, more important, more significant things to do, like saving the world. He's the Messiah. He doesn't have time for these little kids in his life to distract him from these big things he's got going on. But but notice what Jesus says as he rebukes the disciples in verse 14 and welcomes the children in. He says, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. What does Jesus mean when he says, To such belongs the kingdom of God? I, I believe he's saying to his 12 disciples These are the people I came to save just as much as you guys. These one-year-olds, these toddlers, these preschoolers, these elementary kids, they need my ministry just as much as you guys do. I, I believe Jesus is showing us in this moment that spending time with children, caring for them, meeting their needs, and seeking to give them Jesus is just as important as preaching a sermon to thousands of people or going and healing the sick. Now, why, why do we need to see this if we want to be people who welcome children into our lives? Because children or spending time with children can at times feel so small, insignificant, and trivial moment by moment. Right? Another puzzle put together or a book read for the hundredth time, another game of Uno or Candyland, or another load of laundry folded and or done and folded, another meal prepped and served, or another argument broke up, another bedtime prayer routine or family devotion time interrupted in thousands of ways, or disciplining over and over and over again for the same thing. It can feel all feel so small and insignificant moment by moment. And then it ends up feeling really easy to feel like children are a distraction from what really matters. As if what really matters is somehow out there outside the home. And yet Jesus is showing us in the story, no, 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 children are a part of what really matters. Children are not... Church, hear this. Children are not a distraction from our call to make disciples. They are a central part of our call to make disciples. And and if you're called to be a parent, then one of the greatest impacts you will have on God's kingdom and this world is faithfully seeking to love and care for your children, to instruct them from God's word, and, and to show them what it means to be a follower of Christ in everyday life in your home, albeit very imperfectly. And this goes not just for parents, but for grandparents, aunts, uncles, those who serve in children's ministry, and all of us in the church. I love how Amanda Chris captures this in her article, The Inefficient Ministry of Motherhood. She says a mom, and this not just applies to a mom, but a mom in her home can feel shelved by God from real ministry. But isn't there a story about this in the Gospels? About adults who didn't want time-consuming children to interfere with real kingdom work? And whom did Jesus correct? Did he correct the thick-fingered toddlers and long-winded grade-schoolers? Did he correct the boys for how their minds wander and their bodies fidget, and the girls for their sticky fingers and their immature decisions? Jesus corrected the kingdom-driven adults who didn't have time for children. If we're going to welcome children into our churches, lives, and homes, then it involves seeing them as a central part of the mission we've been given to make disciples, not as a distraction from that mission. And it also involves seeing that children are an invitation, not an interruption. The disciples, again, treat these children like an interruption. They they were just spending time with Jesus, and he was teaching them some really important things, and now here comes these kids. And yet, notice Jesus flips it around on them. And he says, hey, I want you to learn some really important lessons from these children. I've got some things to teach you as you spend time with these children. And it's not the only time he does this. There are other times where he takes a child and uses a child to teach his disciples some really important things. Every moment we spend with children is actually an invitation to learn or be reminded of some really important things. And I, I want to give three of those here under this point. First, children are an invitation to see ourselves in them. Jesus says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. In other words, we have to, in some sense, see ourselves as kids and act like kids in order to be part of God's kingdom. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, let let me paint a picture for you really quick. I have two sons living in my house currently, a one-year-old and a five-year-old. What do they contribute to the day-in, day-out functioning of our household? Nothing. Nothing. They've not paid rent yet. They haven't paid any bills. Neither of them have prepped a meal or done laundry or washed the dishes. Like, they contribute nothing to the functioning of our household. And and yet, what do they need? Like, everything. Everything. Right? Every, they, they, they need us to help feed them or help bathe them, clean up messes after them, buy clothes, and on and on and on. And yet, does that seem to bother them at all? No. Like, they're happy to ask mom and dad for what they need. Jesus says this is the exact same type of approach we're supposed to have with God. We offer him nothing. We don't bring our good works and our good behavior in order for him to save us and bless us. We don't think we can self-sufficiently take care of ourselves or save ourselves, which, by the way, is exactly what the rich young ruler does in the story right after this, which leads him to walk away from Jesus and God's kingdom. Rather, we recognize we bring nothing to God, and yet, what do we need from him? Everything. Jesus is saying, if you can't see yourself as a needy, helpless child who's relying completely on God to save you and take care of you, then you haven't really entered God's kingdom yet. What an invitation that is. Like, what an invitation. We bring nothing, God supplies everything. And yet, what a hard pill to swallow for self-sufficient, prideful adults who think they have it all together. Children are also an invitation to know God more deeply. When we spend time with children, we're not just reflecting God's heart for them, We're actually being driven deeper into God's heart for us. And so as we sit and hold a crying child, we're reminded we have a God who grieves with us in our pain and holds on to us. As we feed kids a snack of goldfish and water in Sunday school, we're reminded we have a heavenly father who promises to provide all that we need as his children. When we say to a child who's scared, it's okay, I'm here with you right now, we're reminded we have a God who says to us over and over and over again, fear not, for I am with you. When we discipline a child for their good out of love, we're reminded we have a God who disciplines us for good out of love. When we clean up a mess or change a diaper... We're reminded we have a God who cleanses us from all of our sins and is still at work in the midst of all the messes that we make in our lives. And then third, children are an invitation to follow Jesus. What does what following Jesus as his disciples look like for us, kind of day in, day out? A big part of what it looks like is humbly loving and serving others, especially those who are weakest and have the least to offer us in return. In Mark 9, in another place, after the disciples were arguing about who's the greatest disciple, Jesus brings them into another home, and he takes a child, puts him in front of him, and he says this, if anyone be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus is saying, you want to be my followers and you want to be truly great? Then start by welcoming children and those like them who are weak and likely won't appreciate the things that you do for them day by day. Because in that way, we humbly walk the same path that Jesus walked. As day by day, he served us, gave himself for us sacrificially over and over again. We daily die to our own wants and desires as we give our lives to care for children and to meet their needs. Every time we welcome a child into our lives and sacrificially seek to love and serve them, we're following in the path of Jesus who sacrificially went to a cross and gave his life for us to save us and serve us. Now with all that in mind, I want to give some suggestions for what welcoming children into our lives looks like practically. What does welcoming children into our lives look like? And I want to give three suggestions to that. And here's here's the first one. Welcoming children looks like trusting God with your heartache and pain. Welcoming children looks like trusting God with your heartache and pain. Why would that be the first part of what welcoming children looks like? Because welcoming children into our lives inevitably means we open ourselves up to heartache and pain and suffering. Jesus welcomed these children into his life and his, this home in Mark 10, knowing full well that to bless them, he would have to go to the cross to suffer and die for them. In fact, what's interesting is that's exactly where he heads when he walks out of this home. He gets on the road and he heads straight for Jerusalem, knowing that he's going to suffer and die in Jerusalem in order to bless not only these kids, but also save everyone who would trust in him. And so to truly welcome children as Jesus welcomed them will also mean that we walk a road of suffering at times in our lives. That may be the pain of watching a child suffer or even die. That may be a pain of watching a child make bad decisions that you know is only taking them down a road that will lead to hurt. It may be the pain of watching a child walk away from the faith and the God that you love. Or it may be the pain of fostering a child only to have to say goodbye if that child ends up leaving your home. Or it may be the pain of longing to welcome a child into your family, but not being married struggling with infertility or experiencing miscarriage causes that longing to go unfulfilled. Like in all sorts of ways, welcoming children into our lives just opens us up to heartache and pain and hurt and suffering. Which means we must seek to trust God with our heartache and pain. We we run to him with our grief. We call out to him for his grace to endure and his power to heal what's broken. And yet we cling to the truth that he is good, even and especially when life's circumstances feel anything but good. Welcoming children means we look to God, run to him, trust him with all the heartache and pain related to children. Second, welcoming children means making space for children in your life. That can look like a parent who literally makes a space for a child by providing a godly and loving home for them to grow up in. But it's not just parents, it's also grandparents, aunts, and uncles, and friends. If that's you this morning, I want you to hear you have a unique place and voice into a child's life. As you babysit them, or take care of them, or take them out to eat, or invite them over to sleepovers, or just spend time praying for them, you as a grandparent, aunt, uncle, or friend have a unique voice into a child's life that God has given to you. And making space for children is not just something parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles are called to do, but also something the church as a whole is called to do. That's why we end the parent-child dedication with that commitment from the church. And so making space for children might look like setting aside time in your schedule to serve in nursery, kidsmen, sunshine kids, VBS, or any other ministry to kids here at Keystone. Or it might just look like saying hi to kids on a Sunday morning, asking them about what they're doing, talking to them about what they're interested in in an effort to make them feel welcomed and a part of the church as well, just as everyone else. We want to feel welcomed and a part of the church. Which then leads to, to the third thing. Welcoming children looks like being intentional with the children in your life. But what does that mean? I think that looks like setting aside undivided time and attention to play with kids, read books with kids, and do whatever it is that the kids you are around enjoy doing. Part of why I love the TV show Bluey, I've told you this before, I love the TV show Bluey. If you're not watching Bluey, you're missing out, whether you have kids or not. It's fantastic. And part of why I love it is because it reminds me of the goodness of just spending time down on the floor playing with kids. And it's so easy to forget that and get caught up with all of my grown-up responsibilities. Bluey reminds me, there's great power in playing, imagining, and laughing with kids. Probably some of the very things that Jesus did with kids because kids really seem to like to be around him. I don't get the feeling that Jesus was kind of standoffish with them if they kept coming back to him and wanting to be around them. Don't, don't miss this. There's something about getting down on the floor and wrestling, having a tea party, or acting like dinosaurs, or playing baseball in the backyard that is actually Christ-like. And if we get to a place in our lives where we're too mature to be able to do those things, then maybe we're actually missing out on some of the heart of Christ for us and for our kids. And who knows how all that time invested with kids will open up opportunities, other opportunities to invest in their lives down the road. Because being intentional with kids also means, like Brandon or I said this morning, that we seek to pass on our faith to them. Whether that's looking for opportunities to talk about God in a car ride Or in a walk in the park. Or or reading Bible story books to them. I I love the Tales That Tell Truth series. We have them in our library. You can also find them on Amazon or goodbook.com. Or Kevin DeYoung's Biggest Story Bible. It's a great Bible for kids. Or or praying for kids and with them. Doing family devotions. Confessing sin and asking for forgiveness from kids. Or just inviting kids into all the ways that you and I are seeking to follow Jesus and letting them see that and hear why we do those things. Being intentional means we think about, plan for, and prioritize how we want to pass on our faith to our kids. Because if we don't prioritize it, it probably won't happen. Granted, we do it in faith, believing that ultimately God is the one who has to save our kids. We act like the parents in the story we just read who in any way possible seek to take our kids and get them to Jesus, trusting God to be the one to save them. Now, now, all of that, I think, sounds nice and good. But we also have to be reminded that as we seek to do this, we will fail in all sorts of ways. And our sinfulness will continue to get exposed in all sorts of ways. Which then le- leads to this. Welcoming children exposes our need for the gospel. Welcoming children exposes our need for the gospel. This past week, my, my wife and I were rearranging our basement downstairs. And as part of rearranging, we, we took this couch that had been sitting in the same place for probably three to four years, and we picked it up and we moved it to another place in the basement. Now, what, what happens when you have a couch that is sitting in the same place for three, four, five years, that then you pick up and move to a new place? All of a sudden, you see all the dirt and junk that was underneath that couch hiding away right? Random quarters, random toys that maybe got lost, or just bits of trash and food that slipped down in. I'm not saying that's what ours look like, but you find what that looks like. Moving that couch exposes the dirt and junk that was in reality always there, but you just couldn't see because there was a couch covering over it. Welcoming children into our lives in any way, shape, or form ends up exposing the dirt and junk of our sin that in reality was always there in our hearts, but just didn't get exposed or didn't get exposed in the same way apart from the time now that you're spending around children. We we find ourselves at times maybe saying or doing things we thought we would never say or do as we treat kids more like a burden than a gift. We find impatience anger, irritability, bubbling up and out over as we treat kids more like a distraction than disciples. Where we find how our words can hurt and tear someone down as we treat kids more like an interruption than an invitation. And in those moments, our need for the gospel, for the forgiveness, grace, and power that only Jesus offers continues to get exposed. And that's a really good thing. Because the gospel isn't good news for those who think they are perfect parents or those who think they have all the right answers when it comes to kids or those who aren't willing to admit their failures and sins in relation to how they've treated children in their lives. But the gospel is really good news for those who have seen their sin and their need for a savior in all sorts of ways as they continue to fail and fall short. Because in the gospel, Jesus welcomes us in, And he reminds us that he's paid for our sins. And he reminds us that he's at work in the midst of all our failures and messes. And he reminds us that he can supply all the grace we need for whatever challenges we face as we seek to welcome children into our lives. And so I wanna pray, close this morning by just praying for those things over us. Father, we want to be a church who is a welcoming church, a people who are a welcoming people those who have welcoming homes. And we believe that part of that call involves seeking to welcome children into our churches, into the halls, kids' men's room, and into this auditorium, into our lives, to invest in them as we spend time around them, and into our homes at times as parents. And yet, God, we confess that just like little children, we are needy and messy So many times we feel helpless, so many times we feel confused, so many times we feel worn out. And so I pray that we would be a people who in those moments don't try to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, I can do this, but a people who run back to you, who run back to Jesus calling out for grace, the grace that can forgive us of our sins, the grace that can enable us to endure difficulties and challenges and the grace that can supply all we need as we seek to welcome children into our lives. God, would you supply that for us? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.